subversive this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org subversive by mac reynolds subversive is in essence a negative term it means simply against the existing system it doesn't mean subversives all agree the young man with the brown paper bag said is mrs scotty in i'm afraid she isn't is there anything i can do you are mr scotty i came about the soap he held up the paper bag soap mr scotty asked blankly he was the epitome of mid-aged husband complete to pipe carpet slippers and office slump posture that's right i'm sure she told you about it my name's dickens warren dickens i sold a Look here, you mean to tell me in this day and age you go around from door to door peddling soap? Great guns, boy. You would do better on unemployment insurance. It's permanent now. Warren Dickens registered distress. Mr. Courty, could I come in and tell you about it? If I can make the first delivery to you instead of Mrs. Courty, shucks. It'll save me coming back. Courty led him back into the living room, motioned him to a chair and settled into what was obviously his own favorite handily placed before the telly coty said tolerantly now then what's this about selling soap what kind of soap what brand oh it has no names here that's the point the other looked at him that's why we can sell it for 3 cents a cake instead of 25 dickens opened the paper bag and fished out an ordinary enough looking cake of soap and handed it to the old man mr coty took it stared down at it turned it over in his hands was still blank well what's the difference about it there's nothing different about it it's a same as any other soap i mean how come you sell it for 3 cents a cake and what's the factor is no name got to do with it warren dickens leaned forward and went into what was obviously strictly routine pitch mr coty have you ever considered what you're buying when they nick you 25 cents on your credit card for a bar of soap in an ultra market There was an edge of impatience in the old man's voice. I buy soap. No, sir. That's your mistake. What you buy is a telly show. In fact, several of them, with all their expensive comedians, singers, musicians, dancers, news commentators, network vice presidents, and all the rest. Then you buy fancy packaging. You'll note, by the way, that a product hasn't even a piece of tissue paper wrapped around it. fancy packaging designed by some of the most competent commercial artists and motivational research men in the country then you buy distribution from the factory all the way to the retail ultra market where your wife shops and every time that bar of soap goes from one wholesaler or distributor to another the price roughly doubles you also buy a brain trust whose full time project is to keep you using their soap and not letting their competitors talk you into switching brands the brain trust of course also works on luring away the competitors customers to their product shucks mr coty practically none of the 25 cents you spent to buy a cake of soap goes for soap so small a percentage that you might as well forget about it mr coty was obviously taken aback well how do i know this nameless soap you're peddling is well any good warren dickens sighed deeply and in such wise that it was obvious that he had so sighed before Sir, there's no difference between soaps. Oh, they might use a slightly different perfume, a tinted slightly different color. But for all practical purposes, common hand soap, common bath soap, 
is so. Period. All the stuff the copywriters cream up about secret ingredients and health for your skin and cosmetic qualities and all the rest is Madison Avenue gobbledygook and applies as well to one brand as another. As a matter of fact, often two or different soap companies, supposedly keen competitors and using widely different advertising, have their products manufactured in the same plant. Mr. Coty blinked at him, shifted in his chair, rubbed his chin as though checking his morning shave. Well, well, then where do you get your soap? The same place. We buy in fantastically large lots from one of the gigantic automated soap plants. Mr. Coty had him now. Aha! Then how come you sell it for 3 cents a cake instead of 25? I've been telling you, our soap doesn't even have a name, not to mention an advertising budget. Far from spending fortunes redesigning our packaging every few months in attempts to lure new customers, we don't package the stuff at all. It comes to you in the simplest possible wrapping, though through the mails. A new supply every month, 3 cents a cake, no middlemen, no wholesalers, distributors. No nothing, except soap at 3 cents a cake. Mr. Coty leaned back in his chair. I'll be darned, he thought it over. Listen. Do you sell anything besides soap? Not right now, sir. But soap flakes are coming up next week and I think we'll be going into bread in a month or two. Bread? Yes, sir. Bread. Although we'll have to distribute that by truck and have to have almost 100% coverage in a given section before it is practical. A nickel a loaf. Five cents a loaf? You can't make bread for that much. Oh, yes, we can. We can't advertise it, package it, and pay a host of in-betweens is all. From the bakery to you, period. Mr. Coty seemed fascinated. He said, See ya. What's the address of your office? Warren Dickens shook his head. Sorry, sir. That's all part of it. We have no swanky offices with big expensive staffs. We operate on the smallest of showstrings. No brain trust. No complaint department. No public relations. No literature on how to beautify yourself. No nothing except good soap at 3 cents a cake plus postage. Now, if you'll sign this contract, we'll put you on our mailing list. 10 bars of soap a month, Mrs. Corty said. I brought this first supply so you could test it and see that the whole thing is bona fide. Mr. Corty had to test it, but then he had to admit he couldn't tell any difference between the nameless soap and the product to which it was used. Eventually, he signed, made the first payment, shook hands with young Dickens and saw him to the door. He said, in parting, I still wonder why you do this rather than dragging down unemployment insurance like most young men fresh out of school. Warren Dickens screwed up his face. This was a question that wasn't routine. Well, I make approximately the same if I stick to it and get enough contracts. And shucks, they're not hard to get. And... Well, I'm working, not just bumming on the rest of the country. I'm doing something, something useful. Corty pursed his lips and shrugged. It's been a long time since anybody cared about that. He looked after the young man as he walked down the walk. Then he turned and headed for the phone and ten years seemed to drop away from him. He lit the screen with a flick, dialed and said crisply, That's him, Jerry, going down the walk now. Don't let him out of your sight. Jerry's face was on the screen but he was obviously peering down from the helio jet, locating the subject. Okay, Tracy, I make him. See you later. His face faded. The man who had called himself Mr. Coty dialed again, not bothering to light the screen. All right, I said. Thank Mrs. Coty, and let her come home now. 
Frank Tracy worked his way down an aisle of automated phonotypers and other office equipment. The handful of operators, their faces bored, periodically strolled up and down, needlessly checking that which seldom needed checking. He entered the receptionist's office, flicked a hand at Lawan Sandal, one of the few employees it seemed impossible to automate out of a position, and said, "The chief is probably expecting me." That he is. Go right in, Mr. Tracy. I am expecting a call from one of the operatives. Put it through. A11. Righto. Even as he walked toward the door to the Sanctum Sanctorum, he grimaced sorely at her. Righto. Yet, isn't that a bit on the maze side? Doesn't sound very authentic to me. I can see you don't put in your telly time, Mr. Tracy. Slang goes in cycles these days. They simply don't dream up a whole new set of expressions every generation anymore, because everybody gets tired of them so soon. Instead, older periods of idiom are revived. For instance, scram is coming back in. He stopped long enough to look at her, frowning. Scram? She took him in, quizzically estimating. Possibly, dust or get lost was a term when you were a boy. Tracy chuckled wryly. Thanks for the compliment, but I go back to the days of beat it. In the inner office, the chief looked up at him. Sit down, Frank. What's the word? Another exponent of free enterprise, prehistoric style. Frank Tracy found a chair and began talking, even while fumbling for briar and tobacco pouch. No, he grumbled. I don't think so. Not this time. I'm afraid there might be something more to it. His boss leaned back in the massive old-fashioned chair he affected and patted his belly as though appreciative of a good meal just finished. Oh, give it all to me. Tracy finished lighting his pipe, flicked the match out, and put it back in his pocket. noting that he'd have to get a new one one of these days he cleared his throat and said reports began coming in of house to house canvassers selling soap for 3 cents a bar 3 cents a bar they can't manufacture it for that will the stuff pass the health department evidently traces it dryly the salesman claimed it's the same soap as reputable firms peddle go on we have to go to a bit of trouble to get a line on them without raising their suspicion One of the boys lived in a neighborhood that was being canvassed for new customers, and his wife had signed up. So I took a place when the salesman arrived with their first delivery. They delivered the first batch. I let him think I was Bob Cotty and questioned him, but not enough to raise his suspicions. And an outfit selling soap and planning on branching into bread and heaven's no waters. No advertising, no middlemen, no nothing, as the salesman said, except standard soap at three cents a bar. They can't package it for that. They don't package it at all. The chief raised his chubby right hand and wiped it over his face in a stereotyped gesture of resignation. Did you get his home office address? Maybe there's some way of buying them out indirectly, of course. No, sir. It seemed to be somewhat of a secret. The other's eyes widened. Ridiculous. You can't hide anything like that. There's a hundred ways of tracking them down before the day is out. Of course. I've got Jerome Weisman following him in a helio jet. No use getting rough as yet. We'll keep it quiet, assuming that meets with your approval. You are on the field, Frank. You make the decisions. The phone screen had lighted up, and Lavern's peaked face faded in. The call Mr. Tracy was expecting from Operative Weisman. Put him on, the chief said, lacing his plump fingers over his stomach. Jerry's face appeared on the screen. He was obviously parked on the street now. He said, "Subject has disappeared into his office building, Tracy. 
For the past 15 minutes, he's kind of looked as though the day's work was through, and since this dump could hardly be anybody's home, he must be reporting to his higher-ups. Let's see the building, Tracy said. The portable screen was directed in such a manner that a disreputable-appearing building, obviously devoted to fourth-rate businesses, was centered. Okay, Tracy said. I'll be over. You can knock off Jerry. Oh, except for one thing. Subject's name is Warren Dickens. Just for luck, get a complete dossier on him. I doubt if he's got a criminal or subversive record, but you never know. Jerry said, right, and faded. Frank Tracy came to his feet and knocked the rest of his pipe out into the gigantic ashtray on his boss's desk. Well, I suppose the next step is mine. Check back with me as soon as you know anything more, the chief said. He wheezed a sigh as though sorry the interview was over and that he would have to go back to his desk chores, but shifted his bulk and took up a sheaf of papers. Just as Tracy got to the door, the chief said, Oh yes, easy on the rough stuff, Tracy. I've been hearing some disquieting reports about some of the over-enthusiastic bully boys on your team. You wouldn't want such material to get into the telecasts. Lord bottom, Tracy growled inwardly as he left. Did the chief think he liked violence? Did anyone in his right mind like violence? Frank Tracy looked up at the mid-century type office building. He was somewhat surprised that the edifice still remained. Where did the owners ever find profitable tenants? What business could be so small these days that it could be based in such quarters? However, here it was. The lobby was shabby. There was no indication in the list of tenants of the firm he was seeking, nor was there a porter. The elevator was out of repair. He did it the odd way, going from door to door, entering hat in hand apologetically and saying, Pardon me, you are the people who sell the soap? They kept telling him no until he reached the third floor and a door to an office even smaller than usual. It was lettered Freer Enterprises and even as he knocked and entered, the wording rang a bell. There was only one desk, but it was efficiently equipped with the latest in-office gadgetry. The room was quite choked with files and even a mini IBM tri-unit. The man behind the desk was old-fashioned enough to wear glasses, but otherwise seemed the average aggressive executive type you expected to meet in these United States of Americas. He was possibly in his mid-thirties and one of those alert, over-eager characters irritating to those who believe in taking matters less than urgently. He looked up and said snappily, What can I do for you? Tracy dropped on easygoing characterization. You are the people who sell the soap? That is correct. What can I do for you? Tracy said easily. Why, I'd like to ask you a few questions about the enterprise. To what end, sir? You'd be surprised how busy a man I am. Tracy said. Suppose I'm from the Greater New York News Times looking for a story? The other tapped a finger on his desk impatiently. Pardon me, but in that case I would be inclined to think you a liar. The News Times knows upon which side its bread is spread. Its advertisers include all the soap companies. It does not dispense free advertising through its news columns. Tracy chuckled wryly. All right, let's start again. He brought forth his wallet, flicked through various identification cards until he found the one he wanted and presented it. Frank Tracy is the name, he said. Department of Internal Revenue. There seems to be some question as to your corporation taxes. Oh, the other said, obviously taken aback. Please have a chair. He read the authentic-looking but spurious credentials. Tracy took the proffered chair, then sat and looked at the other as though it was his turn. 
My name is Flowers, the free enterprises man told him nervously. Frederick Flowers. Frankly, this is my first month at the job and I'm not too well acquainted with all the ramifications of the business. He moistened his lips. I hope there is nothing illegal. He let the sentence fade away. Tracy reclaimed his false identity papers and put them back into his wallet before saying easily, I really couldn't say as yet. Let's have a bit of questions and answers and I'll go further into the matter. Flowers regained his confidence. No reason why not, he said quickly. So far as I know, all is above board. Frank Tracy let his eyes go about the room. Why are you established, almost secretly, you might say, in this business backwards of the city? No secret about it, Flowers demurred. Merely the cheapest print we could find. We cut costs to the bone and then shave the bone. Hmm. I've spoken to one of your salesmen, a Warren Dickens, and I suppose he gave me the standard sales talk. I wonder if you could elaborate on your company's policies, its goals, that sort of thing. Goals? You obviously expect to make money somehow or other, though I don't see that peddling soap at three cents a bar is much of a future. There must be some further angle. Floss said, admittedly, soap is just a beginning. Among other things, it's given us a mailing list of satisfied customers. Consumers who can then be approached for future purchases. Frank Tracy relaxed in his chair, reached for a pipe and tobacco and let the other go on, but his eyes had narrowed coldly. Flowers wrapped himself up in the subject. Mr. Tracy, you probably have no idea of the extent to which citizens of Great America are being victimized. Let me use but one example. He came quickly to his feet, crossed to a small toilet which opened off the office and returned with a power-packed electric shaver which he handed to Tracy. Tracy looked at it, put it back on the desk and nodded. It's a brand I have, he said agreeably. Yes, and millions of others. What did you pay for it? Frank Tracy allowed himself a slight smirk. As a matter of fact, I got mine through a discount outfit, only $25. Only $25, huh? When the retail price is supposedly 35 Flowers was triumphant. A great bargain, huh? Well, let me give you a rundown, Mr. Tracy. He took a quick breath. True, they are advertised to retail at $35 and stores that sell them at that rate make a profit of 50%. The regional supply house before them knocks down from 40 to 60% on the wholesale price. Then the trade name distributor makes at least 50% on the sales to the regional supply houses. Trade name distributor, Tracy said as though ignorant of what the other was talking about. You mean the manufacturer? No, sir. That razor you just looked at bears a trade name of a company that owns no factory of its own. It buys razors from a large electrical appliances manufacturing complex, which turns out several other name-brand electric razors as well. The trade name company does nothing except market the product. Its budget, by the way, calls for an expenditure of $6 in every razor for national advertising. Well, what are you getting at? Tracy said impatiently. Frederick Flowers had reached his punchline. All right, they traced the razor all the way back to the manufacturing complex which made it. Mr. Tracy, that razor you bought at a discount bargain for $25 cost $0.38 cents to produce. Tracy pretended to be dumbfounded. I don't believe it. It can be proven. Frank Tracy thought about it for a while. Well, even if it is true, so what? It's a crime. That's so what? Flowers blurted indignantly. And that's where free enterprises comes in. 
Very shortly, we're going to enter the market with an electric razor retailing for exactly $1. No name brand, no advertising, no nothing except a razor just as good as those selling for from $25 to $50. Tracy scoffed his disbelief. That's where you're wrong. No electric razor manufacturer would sell to you. They'd be cutting their own throats. The free enterprises official shook his head and scorned. That's where you are wrong. The same electric appliance manufacturer who produced that razor there will make a similar one, slightly different in appearance, for the same price for us. They don't care what happens to their product once they make their profit from it. Business is business. We'll be at least as good a customer as any of the others have ever been. Eventually better since we'll be getting electric razors into the hands of people who never felt they could afford one before. He shook a finger at Tracy. Manufacturers have been doing this for a long time. I imagine it was the old mail-order houses that started it. They'd get in touch with the manufacturer of, say, typewriters or outboard motors or whatever and order tens of thousands of these, not an iota different from the manufacturer's standard product except for the nameplate. They'd then sell these for as little as half the ordinary retail price. Tracy seemed to think it over for a long moment. Eventually, he said, Even then, you're not going to break any records making money. Your distribution cost may be pared to the bone, but you still have some. There'll be darn little profit left on each razor you sell. Flowers was triumphant again. We're not going to stop at razors once underway. How about automobiles? Have you any idea of the disparity between the cost of production of a car and what they retail for? Well, no. Here's an example. As far back as 1930, a barge company transporting some brand new cars across Lake Erie from Detroit had an accident and lost a couple of hundred. The auto manufacturers sued, trying to get the retail price of each car. Instead, the court awarded them the cost of manufacture. You know what it came to? Labor, materials, depreciation on machinery, everything? $75 per car. And that was around 1930. Since then, automation has swept the industry and manufacturing costs per unit have dropped drastically. The free enterprise's executive was now in full voice. But even that's not the ultimate. After all, cars were selling for as cheaply as $425 then. Let's take some items such as aspirin. You can, of course, buy small neatly packaged tins of 12 or 25 cents, but supposedly more intelligent buyers will buy bottles for 40 or 50 cents. If the druggist puts out a special for 15 cents a bottle, it will largely be refused since the advertising condition customer doesn't want an inferior product. Actually, of course, aspirin is aspirin, and you can buy it in 100 pound lots in polythene film bags at about 14 cents a pound, or in car load lots under the chemical name of acetyl salicylic acid for 11 cents a pound. And any big chemical corporation will sell you USP grade milk of magnesia at about $6 a ton. Its chemical name, of course, is magnesium hydroxide or MgOH2. And you'd have 1,000 quarts in that ton. Buying it beautifully packaged and fully advertised, you would pay up to $1.25 a pint in the druggist section of a modern ultramarket. Tracy had heard enough. He said crisply, all right, Mr. Floss of Free Enterprises, now let me ask you something. Do you consider this country prosperous? Flowers blinked. Of a sudden, the man across from him seemed to have changed character, added considerable dynamic to his makeup. He flustered. Yes, I suppose so. But it could be considerably more prosperous if Tracy was sneering. If consumer prices were brought down drastically, hey? 
Mr. Flowers, you are incredibly naive when it comes to modern economics. Do you realize that one of the most significant developments, economically speaking, took place in the 1950s? Something perhaps more significant than the development of atomic power? Flowers blinked again, mesmerized by the other's new dominating personality. I don't know what you are talking about. The majority of employees in the United States turned from blue collars to white. Flowers looked pained. I don't... No, of course you don't. Or you wouldn't be participating in a subversive attack upon our economy, which if successful, would lead to the collapse of the Western prosperity and eventually to the success of Soviet complex. Mr. Flowers gobbled a bit, then gulped. I'll spell it out for you, Tracy pursued. In the early days of capitalism, back when Marx and Engels were writing such works as Capital, the overwhelming majority of the working class were employed directly in production. For a long time, it was quite accurate when the political cartoonist depicted a working man as wearing overalls and carrying a hammer or wrench. In short, employees who got their hands dirty outnumbered those who didn't. But with the coming of increased mechanization and eventually automation and the second industrial revolution, more and more employees went into sales and the so-called service industries, advertising and entertainment which has become largely a branch of advertising, distribution and above all, government, which in this bureaucratic age is largely a matter of regulation of business and property relationships. As automation continued, fewer and fewer of our people were needed to produce all the commodities that the country could assimilate under a present socio-economic system. And I need only to point out that the average American still enjoys more material things than any other nation, though admittedly the European countries, and I don't exclude the Soviet complex, are coming up fast. Flower said indignantly, but what is this charge that I am participating in a subversive? Mr. Flowers, Tracy overrode him. Let's not descend to pure maze in our denials of the obvious. If this outfit of yours, Free Enterprises, were successful in its fondest dreams, what would happen? Why, the consumers would be able to buy commodities at a fraction of the present cost. Tracy half came to his feet and pounded the table with fierce emphasis. What would they buy them with? They'll all be out of jobs, Frederick Flowers bug-guyed him. Tracy sat down again and seemingly regained control of himself. His voice was soft enough. Our social system may have its strains and tensions, Mr. Flowers, but it works and we don't want anybody throwing wrenches in its admittedly delicate machinery. Advertising is currently one of the biggest industries of the country. The entertainment industry, admittedly now based on advertising, is gigantic. Our magazines and newspapers employing hundreds of thousands of employees from editors right on down to newsstand operators are able to exist only through advertising revenue. Above all, millions of our population are employed in the service industries and in distribution, in the stock market, in the commodity markets and all the other branches of distribution which you free enterprises people want to pull down. A third of our working force is now unemployed but given your way it would be at least two-thirds. Flowers suddenly suspicious said, what has all this to do with the Department of Internal Review, Mr. Tracy? Tracy came to his feet and smiled ruefully, albeit a bit grimly. Nothing, he admitted. I have nothing at all to do with that department. Here is my real card, Mr. Flowers. The free enterprises man must have felt a twinge of premonition even as he took it up, but the effect was still enough to startle him. Bureau of Economic Subversion, he said. Now then, Tracy snapped. I want the names of your high-ups and the address of your central office, Flowers. Frankly, you are in the suit. 
as you possibly know our hashash department has unlimited emergency powers being answerable only to the president i i have never even heard of it floss stuttered but tracy held up a contemptuous hand many people haven't he said curtly frank tracy hurried through the outer office into lavon sandals domain and bit out to her tell the chief i'm here crisis and immediately get my team together all eight of them heavy equipment have a jet ready chicago the team will rendezvous at the airport lavon was just as crisp yes sir she began doing things with buttons and switches tracy hurried into the chief's office didn't bother with the usual amenities he snapped worse than i thought sir this outfit is possibly openly subversive deliberately undermining the economy his superior put down the report he was producing and shifted his bulk backward you are sure we seldom run into such extremes i know i know but this could be it possibly a deliberate program i've taken the initiative to have miss sandal summon my team now see a frank the bureau head looked at him anxiously tracy said impatience there chief you're going to have to let your field men use their discretion i tell you this thing is a potential snowball i'll play it cool arrange things so that there'll be no scandal for the tele reporters but we have got to chill this one quickly or it'll be on a coast to coast basis before the year is out they're even talking about going into automobiles the chief winced then said unhappily all right tracy however mind what i said curb those roughnecks of yours it proved considerably easier than frank tracy had hoped for adam monkeo's national headquarters turned out to be in a sparsely settled area not far from woodstock illinois the house in the passe ranch style must have once been a millionaire's baby what with an artificial fishing lake in the back a kidney shaped swimming pool extensive gardens and an imposing approach up a corridor of trees right up to the front door tracy growled to the operative driving the first hover car of their two vehicle expedition the quicker we move the better he turned his head to the men in the rear seat we five will go in together i don't expect trouble they will have had no advance warning i made sure of that jerry has equipment in his car to blanket any radio sending we'll take care of phones in the house no rough stuff we want to talk to these people one of the men growled suppose they start shooting crazy snorted then shoot back of course but just don't you start it i shouldn't have to tell you these things got it one of the others said he shifted his shoulder to loosen the 0.38 recoil less in his holster at the ornate doorway the cars which had been moving fast a foot or so off the ground came to a quick halt settled and the men discharged guns in hand crazy called to the occupants of the other vehicle on the double surround the house don't let anybody leave come on boys he scurried down the flagstone walk banged on the door it was opened by a houseman who stared at them uncomprehendingly the occupants of this establishment are under arrest crazy snapped he flashed a gold badge take me to adam moncure he turned to his men and gestured with his head take over boys jerry you come with me the houseman was terrified but not to the point of being unable to lead them to a gigantic former living room now converted to offices there was an old man and four assistants all in shirt sleeves in concession to the midwestern summer none armed from all tracy could see they looked up in surprise rather than dismay 
the old man snapped. What is the meaning of this intrusion? Jerry chuckled sourly. Frank Tracy said, You are all under arrest. Jerry, herd these clerks or whatever they are into some other room. Get any other occupants of the house together too and watch them carefully confounded. Don't underestimate these people and make a search for secret rooms, cellars, that sort of thing. Right, Jerry growled. The older of the five free enterprises men was on his feet now. He was a thin, angry-faced type, grey of hair and somewhere in his sixties. I want to know the meaning of this, he roared. Adam Moncure, Tracy said crisply. That is correct. And to what do I owe this cavalier intrusion at my home and place of business? Jerry, at pistol point, was herding the four assistants from the room, taking the housemen along with them. Tracy looked at Moncure speculatively, then dipped into his pockets for pipe and tobacco. He gestured to a chair with his head. Sit down, Mr. Moncure. The jig is up. The jig? The other blurted in a fine rage. I insist. Okay, okay, you'll get your explanation. Tracy sat down on a couch himself and sized up the older man, even as he lit his pipe. Moncure, still breathing heavily in his indignation, took control of himself well enough to be seated. Well, sir, he bit out. Tracy said curtly. Frank Tracy, Bureau of Economic Subversion. Bureau of Economic Subversion? Moncure said indignantly. What in the name of all that is holy is the Bureau of Economic Subversion? Tracy pointed at him with a pipe stem. I'll ask a few questions first, please. How many branches of your nefarious outfit are presently under operation? The other glared at him, but Tracy merely returned the pipe to his mouth and glowered back. Finally, Moncure snapped. There is no purpose in hiding any of our affairs. We have opened preliminary offices only in Chicago and New York. Free enterprises is but in its infancy. Praise Allah for that, Tracy muttered sarcastically. And thus far, we have dealt only in soap. However, as our organization gets underway, we plan to branch out into a score and ultimately hundreds of products, Tracy said. You can forget about that, Moncure. Free enterprises comes to a halt as of today. Do you realize that a business tactics would lead to a complete collapse of gainful employment and eventually to a depression such as this nation has never seen before? Exactly, Moncure snapped in Britain. It was Tracy's turn to react. His eyes widened, then narrowed. Do you mean that you are deliberately attempting to undermine the economy of the United States of Americas? Remember, Mr. Moncure, you are under arrest and anything you say may be held against you. Undermine it, Moncure said heatedly. Bring it crashing to the ground is a better term. There has never been such an abortion developed in the history of political economy. He came to his feet again and began storming up and down the room. A full three-quarters of our employed working at nothing jobs, gobbledygook jobs, non-producing jobs, make-work jobs, red-tape bureaucratic jobs. At a time when the nation is supposedly in a breakneck economic competition with the Soviet complex, we put our best brains into advertising, entertainment and sales, while they put theirs into science and industry. He stopped long enough to shake an indignant finger at the surprised Tracy. But that isn't the worst of it. Have you ever heard of planned obsolescence? Tracy acted as though on the defensive. Well, sure, in the Soviet complex, and for that matter in common Europe and other economic competitors of ours, they simply don't believe in planned obsolescence and all its related nonsense. 
razor blades everywhere except in this country don't go dull after two or three shaves cars don't fall apart after two or three years or even become so out of style that the owner feels that he is losing status by being seen in it the owners expect to keep them half a lifetime automobile batteries don't go to pieces after 18 months they last for a decade and on and on the old boy was really unwinding now nor is even that the nadir of this economic hodgepodge you have allowed to develop is economy of production for sale rather than production for use he stabbed with his fingers i think one of the best examples of what was to come was to be witnessed way back at the end of the second war the idea of the ball bearing pen was in the air the first one to hurry into production gave his pen a tremendous build up it had ink enough to last 3 years it would make many carbon copies you could use it under water and so on and so forth it cost 15 dollars and there was only one difficulty with it it wouldn't write not that that made any difference because it sold like hot cakes what with all the promotion he wasn't interested in whether or not it would write but only in whether or not it would sell moncure threw up his hands dramatically i ask you can such an economic system be taken seriously what's your point tracy growled dangerously he had never met one this far out before isn't it obvious continue this ridiculous economy and we'll all lose the battle for men's minds you can't have an economic system that allows such nonsense as large scale unemployment of trained employees planned obsolescence union feather bedding and an overwhelming majority of those who are employed wasting their labor on unproductive employment tracy said then if i understand you correctly free enterprises was deliberately organized for the purpose of undermining the economy so that it will all collapse and have to be reorganized on a different basis that is exactly correct moncure said defiantly i'm devoting my whole fortune to this cause and there is nothing in american law that prevents me from following through with my plans you're right there tracy said dryly there's nothing in american law that prevents you however you see i have no connection whatsoever with the american government he slipped the gun from his holster frank tracy made his way wearily into lavern's domain she looked up from the desk everything go all right mr tracy i suppose so tell comrade zotto that i'm back from chicago please she clicked switches said something into an inner office communicator then looked up again he'll see you immediately mr tracy Pavel Zotov looked up from his endless paperwork and wheezed the sigh of a fat man. He correctly interpreted the expression of his field operative. Pour us a couple of drinks, Frank. Or would you rather have it frol today? His best field man grunted as he walked over to the bar. Vodka, eh? Chot vismiot. How tired one can become of this everlasting bourbon. He reached into the refrigerator compartment and brought forth a bottle of iced stolichnaya he poured two 3 ounce charges and brought them back to his bureau chief's desk they toasted silently knocked back the colorless spirit pavel zotov said well frol the man usually called frank tracy said the worst case yet this one had quite a clear picture of the true situation he saw the necessity given their viewpoint of course of getting out of the fantastic rut their economy has fallen into He ran his hands over his mouth in a gesture of weariness. Chief, do you have any idea of how long it would take us to catch up to them if we ever did if they really turned this economy on full blast as an alternative to their present fall up? 
That's why we are here," said Chief heavily. "What did you do?" The man, sometimes called Tracy, told him. Zotto winced. "I thought I ordered you. You did," the man called Tracy told him curtly. "But what alternative was there? The fire will completely destroy the records. I have the names and the addresses of all the others connected with the free enterprises. We'll have to arrange car accidents, that sort of thing." The fat man's lips worked. We can't get by with this indefinitely for all. With such blatant tactics, sooner or later the CIA or FBI is going to get wind of us. Tracy came to his feet angrily. What alternative have we? We have been sent over here to do a job. We are doing it. If we are caught, who knows better than we that we are expendable? If you don't mind, I'm going on home. As he left the office through the secret door that led through the innocuous-looking garage, The man called Frank Tracy was inwardly thinking Zotto might be my superior and a top man in the party but he is too soft for this job perhaps i'd better send a report back to moscow on him the end of subversive